Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com. Very excited to be joined by Longhorn All-American offensive lineman, two-time Super Bowl winner with the Denver Broncos, blocking for John Elway and 2,000-yard rusher Terrell Davis, of course. While he was at Texas, he was blocking for Ricky Williams and Priest Holmes. Won three conference championships. Uh, you've seen him on the Longhorn Network, and now uh, you're seeing him on the 2023 College Football Hall of Fame ballot, the one and only Daniel. <laughs> Dan, how you doing, man? man? I'm doing good, Chip. How, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing great. I'm loving this uh, this hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, my wife doesn't mind. Um, I just... Uh, just I basically came down to do I want to play golf or go get a haircut and I've chosen golf but not that I got any better but I, I still haven't gotten a haircut <laughs> well I love it for those of you watching on the horns 24 7 YouTube channel you know exactly what we're talking about for those of you listening uh, to the podcast Dan Neal's hair is down to his shoulders and he's got a nice looking beard he kind of looks like Jesus um but Dan uh Congratulations, as always, on the, um, you know, the 2023 College Football Hall of Fame ballot. I mean, that is, that's monstrous just to be nominated. But, you know, I'm sorry, it, it really is. I mean, and that's uh, probably where it'll stop for me, but I'm very, very happy about that accomplishment. I, I really... It, to me, it, it, the neat thing about it is it sort of reflects that that time in UT football that I think sometimes gets forgotten about. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, we had some pretty good teams. I played with some fantastic players, great teammates. And, and to me, you know, my name on the ballot's a reflection of those those guys I got to play with and those teams we had. I mean, as you said, we won three conference championships. Um, and not, not too shabby. Yeah. I mean, you won uh, conference championships in – at the end of the Southwest Conference, and then you won arguably the most memorable Big 12 Conference Championship game. It was the first Big 12 Conference Championship game in 1996 when you all uh, went into St. Louis, the Trans World Dome, I think it was called then. <laughs> I think it was, yeah. And, and you beat then number three Nebraska Knock them out of national championship contention. James Brown boldly 
predicted that you all would win that game. People thought he was crazy. You know, take us back, Dan. I We'll get to what's going on in current day, but I love, you know, talking about that game and the buildup to that game because yeah. it was mesmerizing to watch you all just um, wear them down. Yeah, you know, is that funny? Yesterday, ironically, I was asked what was my best memory of uh, UT, uh, my time at UT, and I had to think about it for a minute. And it's like, you know, probably that Big 12 championship game. That, that was that was something special. And, and just to, to kind of set the stage, you know, Nebraska was a two-time defending national championship. They had won it in 94-95. They hadn't lost – or, excuse me, they, had, they did not lose a game in 94-95. They lost a game in 96 on the road to Arizona State, who went on to win the Rose Bowl. So it was a good ASU team. Remember, Jake Plummer's quarterback – that was their only loss in three years. And uh, you said they were number three, I think, in the country. They'd already planned on going to the Sugar Bowl to play, I think maybe Florida State, uh, for the national championship. It was a foregone conclusion. There was like five UT fans at the game. Uh, it was all Nebraska fans. And leading up to the game, we were 21-point underdogs. And Mack called the meeting, our, our head coach, and said, you know, don't, don't, say anything outrageous don't give me bulletin board material five minutes later james brown goes to the media and tells him well you know i think we're gonna win by 21. and in reality what that did is we all kind of said well hell if james thinks we can do it then maybe we can and you know it, it was like the the bolt or the jolt of confidence that we all needed because we love james and we kind of decided then and there we're, we're gonna win this game by 21 and um you know, sure enough, it went by 21, but it, it came down really that one play, that fourth in inches where we, we threw it to Derek Lewis over the top and scored a touchdown the next play to put the game away. What what was going on in the huddle when that when that play call came in? Uh, I think it's called Steelers roll left or something, Dan. Yeah, what, I forgot what it was called. <laughs> yeah, but do you remember what was going on in the huddle? Because you're in your own territory, you're only up yeah. three. There's like two minutes left in the game, and you get this call that you're going for it. Yeah, you know we. If you watch the game, Priest Holmes had a unbelievable day. I think Ricky was hurt, uh, didn't play as much, and Priest was just you know unstoppable. Here we are. We need inches, and literally, it's to put the game away. Uh, and, you know, we're down there taking a risk because we're in their end. If we don't do this, it kind of gives them field goal range to tie it up at least, maybe even win the thing because they got time. So this is a critical point in the game, obviously. And if you look at Mack, all play callers have tendencies. It's just – it's inevitable. And Mack's tendency is when a game is on the line and it's, you know, the, the most crucial point, he's going to throw the football. And if you look at it, he throws the football. The history's done it before. And I'm in the huddle, and they call a freaking pass play. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We're going to throw the football. We're gonna, just as, you know, I'm an offensive lineman. I want to run it. And sure enough, we call it. And after that play was over, I'm like, great call. <laughs> <laughs> what a call. But it was a gutsy call. Because uh, it really, a lot of people think that it was a run-pass option. James did have a run option, but – James wasn't really a running quarterback, and he never – if you watch it, he never is looking to run. He, he's throwing it to Derek Lewis, but their Mike linebacker stepped up immediately, which opened up the lane, and there was nobody there. Yeah, I mean, um, you're right. I mean, I think McEvick told James, come to run, uh, but, 
But James read the play, saw Derek Lewis wide open, lobs the ball to him. You all run down, you know, he runs, Derek runs down the field famously looking up at the Jumbotron to see yeah. when the Nebraska defenders grabs, he puts two hands on the ball, gets tackled at like the 11. What I always tell people is watch that next play. I think <laughs> it was a counter play. It was. And, <laughs> Maybe it was a power. I'm, I'm a, it was counter power. One of them. <laughs> and you're pulling and you kick out. I don't know who you you launched a Nebraska defender about three yards backwards, and Priest Holmes had a hole the size. I could have run through that hole, Dan. I mean, do you remember that play? I actually I do remember that play. So I, I was pretty excited at that point in the game. And uh, they called one of my favorite plays because it gave me an opportunity to do just that, and that is pull out there, get one-on-one with a, a guy that's smaller than me. And if I maybe got lucky, catch him off balance, you can really lay somebody out. And uh, that's kind of what happened. I, I, he, I was excited. He was dejected. It showed on that play. I caught him just right, and, yeah, we scored. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just the final knockout punch to an unbelievable uh, game. James Brown, you know, Makovic tells you guys, don't say anything. James, because I'm the one who asked him the question. I fortunately. Oh, it's you. That's right. That's right. It was oh, you yeah. get the play for this. <laughs> and Dan, fortunately, I recorded the interview because. That's right. Makovic accused me of making it up. <laughs> I had to show up at practice and play the tape for, for him. And, and then. Makovic was like, oh, my gosh. Well, what is it about James Brown that, you know, Makovic would say, don't say anything. And I said, what do you make? This was my exact question. What do you make of being a 21-point underdog? And he said, I don't know. I think we'll beat them by three touchdowns. And I was like, uh, what? When did you start thinking that? You know, and he's like, we got good players, man. We, you know, we're, yeah. we're playing good football. What is it about James Brown and any stories that you, I, I love that guy. I think he's, I think he gets overlooked for, you know, I thought he was overlooked by the NFL. I mean, all the guy did yeah. was win. I agree. I, like I said, in reality, off that team, I want to say maybe nine or 10 guys were drafted. You know, uh, we actually, modern day era, I think it was the highest number of draft picks except for the uh, 2005 national championship team. We were, the James Wright, we were talented. We oh, just yeah. struggled with different things through the year. It wasn't all the players' fault. There was a lot of stuff. And we got hot at the right time. If you remember, we played A&M the week before, and I think we beat him 55-15. We just kicked the crap Crushed out of them. Yeah. Uh, did you, I mean, just we were peaking at the right time, and that's exactly what James was saying. We're playing really good football right now when we're a talented team. That Those are both facts. And put those two things together, we're well coached. Uh, we get a good game plan, which we did have. We got a shot here. And, and I, I think Nebraska just, you know, I don't think they were really ready. I think they had no clue how good we were. Because um, there's games you would have watched earlier. We didn't look so great. Uh, right. And then, you know, if you didn't, if you watch those and then you watch the end, we're a different team. And the team, the, the second half showed up that day. And we played up to our capabilities that day. And, and honestly, things went our way. And they, they have to to beat a team like Nebraska. And, and we capitalized. Yeah. Yeah. It. I think it, I think y'all were a 7-4 and four team going into that game. And, yeah. um, and 
but you were peaking at the right time. When you when you think back um, to the guys on that team, I mean Casey Hampton, who <laughs> another guy I think gets overlooked uh, for you know for big time honors because yeah he does. I mean that oh, guy boy. was. He won, like you, he won two Super Bowls with the Steelers. Mm -hmm. Like you, was in the trenches where you're not in a glamour position, but, man, he held the point of attack. You went up against that guy every day in practice. <laughs> you know, who were who are the guys that stood out to you, your teammates on that, that 90-16? Well, they give you an idea of the depth. Uh, Priest Thomas didn't even start for us. Yeah. You know, and obviously he was undrafted. And I said we had like nine guys drafted. Priest wasn't one of them. How about uh, that? He was he was an undrafted. Is in everything most people know his story and and how great of a player he turned into. But we knew it. We always knew he's talented at Texas. He just didn't seem to get the lucky break they ended up getting. I mean, you look at yeah, Brian Westbrook was a top five draft pick on that team. Um, you know, uh, Tony Brackens had left at that year that by that time, but he was part of those teams. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to play in, in the NFL. You had Trey Thomas. You had Tajay Allen, a guy a lot of people don't remember, Curtis Jackson. Uh, you know, you had Mike Adams. Wayne McGarity. Uh, Wayne McGarity. I was going to say Wayne McGarity was on that team. You know, there was, a, there was a lot of really good football players on that team. And, and in the end of the day, as, as I said, we, we were peaking at the right time. We were a good team in the sense that we actually liked each other. You know, we liked playing with each other. We had to work through some things earlier in the year. And that's kind of why we weren't peaking and playing as well as we could. And once we relaxed, and really James was a big part of that because he was always so relaxed. And, and when he said, you know, I think we can win by three, you're like, well, here's a guy that doesn't say much. He's pretty quiet and is confident, relaxed, not tense. You know, not a raw, raw guy, just a guy who gets the job done. Everyone followed him. You know, they love James. Um, and I agree with you. I think the guy got kind of overlooked. A lot of the players on those teams got overlooked, my feeling, over the years. And, again, that's, to me, why this Hall of Fame is, is an honor because I feel like it kind of gives a voice to those teams uh, that, hey, actually, we were pretty good, you know. Uh, it, it, so it was, it was it really it was a special time in Texas football. As I point out, you know, and I'm not proud of this, but, you know, my, my college experience that went from 92 to 96, um, and from that time to today, They've won as many conference championships as I did in my five years here at Texas. You know, so it gives you an idea of, you know, some of the things we did. Uh, and they're not easy to do. I, I thought when we won that first Big 12, we'd win 30 of them. Well, we've, we've won three. And that's one of them. So, uh, you know, that's that's been the hard thing is, you know, hopefully we can get there again. But it, it was it was actually a pretty fun time uh, to be a Longhorn. Yeah, think about that. I mean, you won three conference championships and Texas has won three since. Mm -hmm. And that is uh wow. That that yeah. that's and look how stuff. old look how old I am. <laughs> well, I mean, my goodness, Dan. I mean, you you're old. I'm I covered you as a player. I know you're ancient, Chip. I'm ancient. I'm like a fossil. <laughs> you know, I one thing I found interesting about your time at Texas, Makovic was not what you would consider a player's coach yeah but you as players came together and played for each other can can you talk about that because that is something i thought last year's texas team was lacking yeah 
You know, it's it's a difficult thing to go through as a player uh, because, you know, you hear the term, hey, it's your team. And it is. But you're told what to do. You're told when to get up, when to go to bed. I mean, you're told what to do all the time. And so it's like, how's it my team? It's really the coach's team. Once the team and the seniors and the players understand what that is, that it's your team, and you basically say, it's our team. I don't care what those guys say or do. We're going to do what we need to do to win because this is our last shot. They're coming back, coaches. Uh, they get another shot at it. They get repeats. We don't. This is it for us. And that's kind of what we struggled with at the beginning, and, and their record reflected it. We were kind of struggling because there was some tension in the locker room, not amongst the players, but I think probably player coaches. And once we kind of accepted that this is our last chance for us seniors, and I was one, you know, we want to win this thing. We just won it last year. Uh, we know we can do it, you know, and, and being the defending Southwest Conference champs, let's let's get this thing done. And fortunately, that, that was the first year of the Big 12 where they split the conferences and the Big 12 South was abysmal. So with a bad record, we could win it, and we did. And But then it, it put us up against Nebraska, and the North was the stronger one, obviously. And one game, winner take all kind of, and, and that's what it came down to. But, again, we at that point had accepted this was our team and we were really going to do what we had to do to win because we wanted to put our number up at that stadium. And, and when I go to the games and I look up there, it brings me a lot of pride that – that number's still up there, and it will be forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were there at a really interesting time. People <laughs> don't remember the roster imposter, Ron McKelvey. <laughs> but Dan was there, a 30-year-old <laughs> you know, guy who'd stolen the identity of another guy, was playing college <laughs> football. His, his, uh, his eligibility had expired, but he had you know, taken the identity of someone else. And, That's right. Uh, oh, my God. I mean – that was that was crazy. That was the my wife's of- favorite story, by the way, Chip. She oh. loves that one. <laughs> I told you I tried to go find him, you know, one holiday bowl because he was working in San Diego, and he still doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, you know, my wife's asking me about that. Like, no, Chips, I think tried to track him down, and and he just, uh, I mean, he left in the middle of the night the day before the Sugar Bowl, and he's a ghost. Like you just said, no one's heard from him. No one knows what happened to him. It's a 30 you know, it's, for 30. It really is. It, it's one of – well, there's a – if you and I forget the name. It's the same guy that did the movie uh, Days of Confused. He did that one about baseball, and it was about – Oh, yeah, Sandy's Richard Linkletter. State. Yeah, Richard Linkletter. In that movie, there's a roster imposter in that movie. And you know he stole it from, you know, McKelvey. And it's oh, yeah. hilarious in the movie. And it, it wasn't a big movie, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, and, and I'm watching it. I go, that's, that's the story right there. That was from our team. Uh, and it is. It is a 30 for 30 because, I mean, you you know, I've heard guys on the team talk about it. And it I think it was Mike Adams who had the funniest response. He goes, we all should have known when, you know, we'd get up in the morning, we'd go to his room, and he'd be in his slipper robes and drinking a coffee, reading the newspaper, that this was not a normal college kid. <laughs> Wow. That is that's awesome. Yeah, Ron McKelvey. Um oh my gosh. That, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a story. That's the story right, Chip. Just call SPN and get them to get I know. To do the, the manuscript and then we'll get a we'll get a link later to do it. There you go. Yeah. Done. Yeah. I'm serious. I'm gonna call one of my Hollywood producer friends and say, okay, there's your 30 for 30. Yeah. All right, we'll take a quick break with uh, 
All-American offensive lineman, two-time Super Bowl winner, and 2023 College Football Hall of Fame nominee, Dan Neal. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For a 5-7 and seven football team uh, in 2021, Texas has had about the most active, positive offseason I can remember from, you know, landing a top five recruiting class loaded with offensive linemen, including, you know, the two highest ranked recruits uh, on the offensive line, uh, Devin Campbell and Kelvin Banks. And, and then, you know, a bunch, I mean, gosh, they are seven offensive linemen. They landed in the class Mm -hmm. uh, loaded up on the defensive line too. They bring in Gary Patterson, former TCU coach as a special assistant. They've hired two of the brightest assistant coaches in college football. Um, I mean, does anyone remember last year? They, they lost to Kansas at home. I, I have to say it was in, in the longest losing streak, six games since 1956, the year before Daryl Royal took over. And then to have this offseason, Dan, has it even surprised you? No, it, it, college football is different, uh, and that's just uh, fans, we have to accept it. And that is is today's college football teams are going to be the best money can buy. And, and you just mentioned how they had the best offensive line recruiting class they've had in years, and it's the same time that they announced that they were going to have an NIL fund paying their offensive linemen. Go figure, right? And then as far as, you know, kind of the, the change of the team – well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. How many transfers did we get? You know, and Dejon Robson stays and he's driving a Lamborghini. And I'm not being negative on the players. That's the, the day we're in now where you can go out as do the NFL teams and you can build a team in a year. Challenge is going to be to keeping it together because guess what? After next season, whatever happens, if some of these players turn out to be good, other teams are going to come and try and, you know, steal them away. You know, it's just the way college football is now. Uh, and I, I look at it and say, well, if that's how it is, if it's going to be who can pay the most, we should win. And let's go win because we're within the rules. And it's today you can pay players. So I, I still think that it's going to get even more out of control money-wise as this thing goes by. But it does allow us to change things around quickly. And, you know, Quinn Ewers is here on campus. He wasn't here last year, and I think he's driving an Aston Martin. You know, <laughs> it, it – it's it, it, it. That's why I think people are excited about this season. And you hear, well, we got this guy and this guy. Yeah, we do. You know, we're paying them. And that's fine. We can do it. But we do. And there's no reason why we don't have great players here at Texas. Uh, and 
you know, as far as last year's season is the NIL wasn't in effect last year. You know, Sarkeesian came in with what he had and, and tried to do the best he could with it. And it was a bad year. It didn't turn out well. And as, as you talked about, it was a six game losing streak. Things started to roll the wrong way and they just couldn't recover it. And, and a lot of times that's the players, as I mentioned earlier players taking ownership of that team. If the players allow a six-game losing streak to happen, when you're losing against teams like Kansas, who you are no doubt better than, that's that's on the players. And, and you know, they got to figure that out as players. What do they want to be? You know, where do they want to be at the end of the season? They want to have their number in the stadium or they want to be uh, known for the six losses in a row? It, it's up to them. When you look at, um, you know, player leadership, I, I've had coaches say, it's ideal when your big guys, your linemen, offensive, defensive, <laughs> are your best players and because they're the most intimidating guys. Yeah. You know, do you buy that? Um, what? Where, where does the leadership have to come from? Well, so, in, yeah, I do buy that. <laughs> you, you know, the, the touch on that quickly, and that is, is, yeah, they're the biggest guys in the room, uh, in a room of big guys. Uh, and so they're kind of intimidating. And then the other aspect about it is there's more offensive linemen on a football team than any other position, maybe DBs on some, but yeah, it's pretty close. So there's more of them. They're bigger. And then a lot of guys are scared of them because um, they're not necessarily the pretty guys. And, you know, they're, they're known to be, you know, uh, I guess the manly guys or something, you know, and so they're just intimidating. And, and those guys, if they set the tone of how things are done, it really does have an effect because remember they're the only guys on the football team that are guaranteed every play that they're going to go hit somebody every play. Uh, so they got to have a little bit of a screw loose. And I think a lot of guys respect that. Uh, they got to be kind of tough guys. So yeah, when those guys are your leaders, you, you set a tone quickly, you know, if some guy goes across the middle and, you know, flinches cause he's about to get hit and drops the ball. He doesn't want to have to walk back to that huddle and face those five guys that just beat their head in so he could catch the ball. And then he, he, he gets scared. That doesn't work. And that's why those guys can be your leaders. Now, the other position is your quarterback has to be on the offense. He's the one that runs the offense. He's the one to control. He's got to be a leader. And you hear stories of the, the 05 team and Vince Young was no doubt the leader. And uh, when you have a good player that, like that that demands everybody else play up a certain level you have teams like you had in 05 in in office they were talented that those things are keys and i mentioned about you know our team and you know james brown was a quiet leader but everyone respected him and that's first key of leadership and uh, everyone followed him because they knew that james was going to do whatever he could to help win football games so th those are kind of the keys and de defensively you know you got to have the same kind of atmosphere. Mike Backer's usually the guy that's vocal. Your safeties, you know, these are the kind of guys that got to be willing to go hit people, set the tone, and be tough. And when you have those kind of tough uh, and then talented helps, but I take tough over it. Guys on your team, and that just understand that there's a point in the game where we need to make a play, and they're the kind of guys that go make those plays. That, that's when you start to get really good. Yeah, I mean, and when you look back on Texas here over the last several years since 09, you know, the offensive line has been more missed than hit. Mm -hmm. And that has just got to change, Dan. I mean, Texas. Well, 
And here's the other thing about it too, Chip. I, I don't harp on talent too much because I, I believe character over talent any day. And and I would look for those type of guys, those character-driven guys to help build teams. And then the talent will follow, hopefully. Now, if you can find character and talent in the same guy, then, then you got a Hall of Fame type of player. Uh, this team last year, as you mentioned, lost six street ball games and they had zero guys drafted. There is a talent deficiency on the team. It's just evident. The NFL draft tells you the kind of talent you have. Uh, we, you know, I, I want to say what the, the two guys have been drafted off the offensive line in how many years here at Texas? In um, that's in, in, undoubtedly a indicator of the talent of the offensive line for the past ten plus years, and, and go on and on at other positions. So as we talk about, you know, Texas becoming a great football team, first and foremost, you know, I think you got to find those character guys. And then second is you got to find talent. And there is a lack of talent on the team. And that NIL, you know, with free and, and let me tell you that with the transfer portal, that is free agency people. That that's the same difference. So you have money in free agency, you should be able to go out and buy some of the most talented guys out there. And and I think they're doing that. And you think they're reflecting some of the transfers that they've gotten. Let me ask you this, Dan, because, you know, people are getting excited about Texas because B. John Robinson is a first-round pick. You know, Quinn Ewers was the number one recruit in the entire nation in 2021, uh, just like Vince Young was in 2002. But Vince Young redshirted as a freshman, didn't even really start full-time until, you know, 2004. He redshirted in 2002, started some games in 03 up and down are people and and you're probably going to have to have a, a true freshman play on the offensive line maybe more than one can you turn things around that quickly with free agency you can because you can go get talented guys now here's my concerns you said you know if i if i was you know you know king of the world i would have really tried to find some offensive linemen in the transfer portal because freshmen just can't come into play. I, I mean, once in a while they can make, they can get by, but physically you're not anywhere near where those other guys are. If you think about your physical maturation from 18 to 22, it's light years. Um, and you, you haven't trained like you do in college. I mean, you could take the same time frame in the NFL and say, well, this guy's older. No, no, it's a totally different world because one, your, your physical maturation is, is, you know, progressing as much. And two is you've been training at a high level for a long time. You're not going to get that much bigger and stronger. When you're 18, you haven't really trained like you do when you get to college. And then that was five years of training. You physically, you're a totally different person. So to expect these young guys at 18 to come in and really contribute, I think it's a, a tall order. Not saying it won't happen. Not saying it can't happen. But I will guarantee you, if they do come in and contribute, they're going to be better players in four years from now than they are this year. And yeah. the point being is they may be good, but we're still not getting the best that they can be, and you won't for a while. And to be a really great football team, you have to have high level at that position, you know, all the time. So that's my biggest concern. But if they can do something up front and, and get some time with the John Robinson and the quarterbacks and receivers and the things they have in offense, they could actually really have a very, very good offense if they can just buy enough time. Yeah. I mean, I had one coach say if they if if that offensive line can just fall down and get in the way of people you know, with all the receiver skill, talent, and Bijan Robinson, this offense should be able to move 
the football and win games. When you what when you watched last year, the team go from four and one to losing six straight. What stood out to you? What what was missing? What what was going on? Yeah, you know, honestly, Chip, you know, I used to focus a little bit more on, you know, the intricacies. I didn't as much last year. I wasn't doing the Longhorn Network, therefore I, I didn't have to, you know, comment on it. And so I just kind of watched it more casually. Uh, so for me to sit there and say specifically what, what was going on, I couldn't. Um, I will say that, you know, Bajon Robinson is a fun, fun player to watch, and he's a special guy, so enjoy him while you have him. Um, and he made a lot of plays that really weren't there into something. And that, that's when you know you got somebody special. And, it, and it's kind of I'm a, I'm a broken record here, but it's been the problem. And it's really hard to do. And that's why it's a problem. Most teams do struggle. And that's getting to the second level. In other words, you're doubles teaming on that first level, those down linemen, and you're trying to get to the linebackers. It's hard to do. Teams struggle with it. And Texas struggled with it last year, as they have for the past few years. Uh, and that's really when you start to see the progression. If you can get on linebackers, that means the next guy to hit Dijon is a safety, and he's got to make that safety miss, and he can make that safety miss. The problem is, is when D linemen and linebackers are hitting Dijon, that's an offensive line issue, and, and they got to figure out how to get him to that next level untouched and allow him to really be the the, the player that he he can be. Yeah, and I'll give it to you this way, Chip, if you bear with me here, is you remember a guy named Barry Sanders um, in playing for your Detroit Lions? Oh, yeah. Really, all you had to do was put five beer cans in front of him, and he'd still rush for 1,800 yards a season. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's those kind of players once in a while. Most guys can't do that. And, and Bajon was having to, you know, take some hits early and still doing what he did. If he could get clean through that line, wow, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's going to be fascinating to see if they can, you know, get that figured out because there are some fifth-year offensive linemen who were still struggling last year, and yeah. and you're you're wondering, okay, is that is that going to? Well, and, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Think, I mean, here's the reality, okay. If you're a fifth-year offensive lineman and haven't really played, and you're playing as a senior or junior or even a you know fifth-year guy um, on a bad offensive line, why haven't you played earlier? It, there, you know, if you're a fifth-year guy or you know a senior or fourth-year guy on a great offensive line, okay, you know you had to wait your turn. But when there's nobody in front of you and you can't get out there, <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of where we're at. Jeez. Um, all right. So, Dan, when you, you know, you take all of the offseason developments, as you said, NIL, free agency, uh, Texas, the, you know, the offensive linemen are going to get $50,000, all the scholarship offensive linemen for doing some charitable appearances and whatnot. Does the money in the locker room, scare you uh you played in the nfl you know that's one thing salaries and all that but in in this new age in college you've got some players who are already there who probably aren't making a bunch of nil money but to bring players in they've probably been promised some nil money how how do you think that's going to work in the locker room i do not envy sarkeesian when it comes to that that's going to be a, a tricky tricky deal um you know what you're gonna have look i mean 
I always tell people that football got progressively worse as far as enjoyment level and more money in, interjected into it. You know, I, most guys would probably tell you that the best time they had playing football was in high school. <laughs> That's when it was really fun. I loved it at Texas, you know, and I got to the NFL and, and I, gosh, I just, I love playing football. So I was thankful for the chance to do it. And I played on a team that we, we managed things pretty well. So it was, it was still fun, but it wasn't as much fun because all of a sudden you're fighting for your job. You, you know, you, you're worried about getting fired. You build, it's a different world, right? It, it's not as much fun. So now all of a sudden we've really got money interjected in college football. And here's the thing that I would say that is reflective of what Sarkeesian has to deal with. He doesn't pay the players. He has no say on what the players make. That's a third part of the entity. It'd be illegal for him to do any of those things. So what guys make, what deals they get, that Sark can't control it. He only has to figure out how to make everybody deal with it in that locker room. And the one thing about a good locker room in the NFL is we all make different money or all make different salaries. And it's public information. We all know what each other makes. There's not one day that I walked in that locker room, I looked at John Elway and thought, man, I should be making what he's making. You know, he obviously was a bigger contributor than I am. They all know that, you know, and so you, you, you're you okay with that. But then on the other side, no one worked harder than John. You know, he he, he was a leader that set the tone and, and, you know, gave effort. And so you had no issue with his salary. No one did. What you run into in college is you're going to have some guys, especially in this new world, that are going to come in. And this was true when I was playing. They show up day one entitled because they were the stud at their high school and they think they're going to be great here and they're arrogant and – you know, they get punched in the mouth one day after first practice and everything changes for them. Not throw money into that equation. And then some of these guys, you know, are going to think they should be playing right now and they're driving the big cars and they got all the cash. It's just going to be a – when it goes – when the money goes to a turd that doesn't have character, that's when you start having problems. And you can't control that as a head coach. So he's got to kind of figure out how to, how to manage all that. And like I said, I, I don't envy him. He's got to – He's got to figure out a way for everybody to still come together, play together and, you know, put the money and what guys are getting paid and fairness. I mean, I guess that's the thing. Is this going to be everybody's introduction and the world ain't fair? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a fascinating time. And, and, you know, I, I talked to Gary Patterson uh, last week and he said, it's a different world than even a year ago, you know, and, and he's looking at it and saying, man, I, he said, I see how hard Sark is working to manage all this stuff. And he said he really respected him for it, but it is, it's a, it's a different job. Urban Meyer said, I don't know that the age of NIL and the transfer portal are for me or my style that. that <laughs> They're perfect for his style. <laughs> I mean, he's been doing it for years. Just yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but that taskmaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he intimidate the the days intimidating and, and pushing guys around that used to go on in college that do not in the NFL. That's done. Yeah, you, you can't get away with that as a coach anymore. And I, I wonder about Nick Saban too, long term, because uh, that's how he he operates. Yeah, he he might be starting to show some of that by speaking out, saying A and M bought their whole class and all that. So. <laughs> It's, you know, that's a lot for a guy who's 70 years old to have to adjust to what really is everyone else getting to do what maybe he's been doing for a while. But anyway. Yeah, cashing in. I digress. Yes. So, Dan, (laughs) 
before we let you go, I mean, I, I your career, you're kind of like Forrest Gump. But listen, <laughs> you helped Priest Holmes and Ricky Williams and Terrell Davis, John Elway. You know, you were a contributor to their success. When you look back on, you know, the guys that you played with, the guys that you helped block for, um, you know, Terrell Davis going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's got to be a huge sense of pride inside you about all of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you look at it two ways. One is I, I helped these guys achieve these goals or uh, I was just a really crappy player that ended up getting lucky and playing for Hall of Fame players that made me look good. <laughs> I no, don't know. I'm not, I'm not going there. <laughs> I remember but, uh, the I remember the draft special where Bill Parcells oh, yeah. said he interviewed you at the Combine and you'd probably been in medicals all night. And he's like, what about, what about your knee? What about your knee? And you're like, I don't give a crap about my knee. I'm going to be a hell of an offensive lineman for someone. So let's get on with it. And Parcells was like, I like this guy. I like this Dan Neal. <laughs> he brought you up as an example of a guy who's like, you know, hey, don't tell me about my medical. I'm going <laughs> to be a football player. Yeah. And and that, you know, hell, they they barely gave you a scholarship at Texas, right? Oh yeah, no, they didn't want to. Yeah, they um, they, they were they were kind of pushed into it by my high school coach, and uh, and so yeah, I mean it worked out, right? <laughs> it worked out. Daniel, the best pulling guard. John Makovic didn't want to give you a scholarship initially, and then he ended up calling you the best pulling guard he's ever seen. And he coached with the Cowboys, and the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs, and. The rest is history, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah it is. <laughs> and how's your knee? Because you did have knee replacement all those years yeah. of blocking for Priest Holmes and Ricky Williams uh, took its toll. How's your knee? Well, I am turning better. It's my left knee, which is my left side, and I'm a right-handed uh, golfer. So I'm, maybe, I'm actually turning better on that left knee and getting through the ball better. So that's really all that matters, Jeff. Good. Good. Yeah. You're out there playing golf. <laughs> uh, as much as I can. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, Dan, we'll let you get back out uh, to the golf course, man. I love talking ball with Dan Neal. Thanks so much <laughs> for taking the time for us here on the flagship podcast. Hey, anytime, Chip. It's always great talking with you, man. All right. For Dan Neal, I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com. Until next time here on the flagship podcast, stay safe and keep the faith. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 